And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to today's edition of The Real Investment Show. It's Wednesday. It's hump day. It's the last day of February. What? There's, wait, there's another day. <laughs> Stretching this thing out some more. <laughs> I was like, you know, you think this month is never going to end and they stick another day on the end of it. Anyway, uh, just joking. Of course, today is the 28th, tomorrow the 29th. And of course, uh, we're, you know, it's tomorrow, of course, on the 29th, on leap year, we've got the PCE inflation data, which the Fed will be paying attention to. So that's going to be the kind of the big market moving event uh, for this month. So we'll take a look at that tomorrow. Um, right now, markets are just really kind of trading flattish over the last few days. Uh, you know, we've talked about the market being this uh, positive uptrend right now, well within a trading range. Nothing exciting really going on. You know, we make a little move higher, then we sell off. We make a little move higher, and we sell off. We just kind of this gradual kind of stair step higher. And, and then so again, it's just not been anything really notable going on. Uh, the, the big issue now, of course, is that we're running out of earnings season. So again, as we've talked about you know, yesterday, 90% of companies have reported at this point. So we've got a few of the last few that are, that are coming in. But for the most part, uh, earnings season is now theoretically behind us. And so we're going to have to start focusing back on the economic data at least for another month until yeah, we kick off earnings again. <laughs> You know, so just by the time you wrap this up, we get about a month break and then we started earnings season again in April. So uh, a couple of things with that, of course, also is that, you know, one of the, the big drivers for the market has been stock buybacks. And, you know, I got a question yesterday. It's like, you know, well, when do when these companies stop buying back stock? Well, that's about two weeks before we start earnings season. So we've got about another three weeks or so of of stock, of stock buybacks yet in, in kind of in the market helping support the lift of the market. Now that's going to start to taper off as we start to get into that blackout window prior to the April 1st start of earnings season. So that, and at that point we'll have about a month where the buyback window will be closed and then those will start again. So again, it's just, you know, that's, that's just kind of the ebb and the flow that goes on. And of course, you know, that's just some additional buying power that comes in. And you know, it was interesting because even Warren Buffett was talking about this in his latest report. We're going we're to have some of his wisdom in this weekend's newsletter. But in his latest report, annual report, he was talking about you know, stock buybacks. And it's one of the things that he said that, that is broadly missed by the, you know, really kind of the market as a whole is that CEOs of companies have just been buying stock to support their stock price, right? So they, they kind of indiscriminately buy shares back at any price. And what Warren Buffett said, and he's absolutely correct about this, is that buybacks need to be done at, optim, you know, at, at optimal levels. In other words, you need to be buying your stock when the, the, the value of the company is undervalued relative to the market or how the market is suggesting that you're valued. So if the market's wrong on your valuation, you go, look, we've got a lot of really great underlying business that's going on. The market is discounting our stock right now. So if I want to be buying those back at a discount, that's the optimal use of money, corporate money, with stock buybacks. 
Unfortunately, the vast majority of companies are buying their shares back at vast premiums, which has a, a negative impact to the company in the future, but it just takes time to get there. So again, it's just a very interesting point that he makes about buybacks, because again, companies are just kind of willy-nilly buying stocks back just to support EPS. And mostly, of course, that's to fund insider sales of restricted shares. So uh, the SEC did an investigation on share buybacks, found out that the vast majority of share buybacks go to benefit corporate insiders. Surprise. Uh, outside of that, though, you know, that's just, you know, what we're going to be struggling with here over the next month. A lot of economic data that we'll have. We're about to get GD, the kind of the first glimpse at the, uh, uh, sorry, about to get the last estimate of third, uh, fourth quarter GDP. So we'll see that. And then, of course, uh, we'll start getting kind of first estimates of first quarter GDP, which right now um, is running at about 1.8, 1 1.9, 1, uh, 2%. So, you know, expectations are pretty strong for first quarter GDP growth. Uh, we'll start to see that number in April. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what you need before the, before the bell this morning. Uh, futures are a little bit, yeah this morning, not really doing a whole lot. And again, this has kind of been the story for the last few days. As I said, the market's really not going anywhere right now. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, uh, small and mid caps yesterday. And interestingly enough, you know, what we said yesterday was is that, you know, in the short term, uh, they certainly look a little bit better. We've had this kind of this sideways consolidation. We broke out of this consolidation for mid caps, uh, sorry, for small and mid caps. Um, so that's all looking fairly decent. And, and, but as we talked about yesterday, there's a very big lag right now between small mid cap stocks and large caps. So again, yes, they're trying to play a little bit of catch up here, but speculation in small caps is reaching rather extreme levels. So when you look at call option volume, et cetera, a uh, lot of speculation going on in this area. And this is the problem as we talked about on Monday specifically is that about 30% of these companies, actually almost 40% of these companies trade uh, are, are trading but have negative earnings. And so that's going to be an impact for valuations as we go along, particularly if we start to get an economic slowdown, which these companies are the most susceptible to. But nonetheless, uh, these stocks have been performing well. So from a trading perspective, we've had a nice consolidation, a bit of a breakout. We're on a buy signal. So there is some real potential here that we could see uh, small mid caps continue to play this, uh, this kind of this uh, catch up chase to the broader market. But this is usually a later stage event. And because of the long-term lag in these stocks relative to the S&P, when we start to get that correction that we've been talking about, whether it's a month from now or two months from now, whenever it is, it is likely that these stocks will lead on the downside as well. So just something to be cautious of from a trading perspective, nothing wrong with them right now. From a longer term kind of investment perspective, it's probably a bit too early uh, to be expecting large gains from these. And particularly from a longer term perspective that we talked about before, there's been a real lag between small mid cap stocks and large caps since about 2014. So uh, again, just from a diversification standpoint, be a little bit cautious with that. Um, outside of that though, of course, the volatility index continues to remain exceptionally low. There's just really no fear in the market at all. Um, you know, if you take a look at, you know, call option volume, you know, puts, all those type of things, investors have virtually no fear here at all in the markets. And again, nothing wrong with that. This is supportive of that bullish attitude in the markets right now. And so uh, the suppression of volatility, certainly not surprising, but that is the fuel. If we get a turn in this at some point, 
we're got, this is the fuel you need for a bigger correction, kind of like we saw uh, in October of last year when we were selling off. Everybody extremely bearish at that point. It's like, oh my gosh, the world's going to end. Is the selling ever going to stop? Well, that was this summer sell-off that we had, and this was coming from, surprisingly enough, a very low level of volatility. So again, not surprisingly, you have a very low level of volatility, no fear in the market. Something occurs that creates that pop in volatility that leads to your sell-off in equities. And we've had a very long suppression in volatility. One of the, one of the longer periods here of just very low suppressed volatility so suggests that something will happen here. Don't know what it'll, what it'll be. Could be a, a week from now, a month from now, two months from now, as we said before. But once we start to get that correction in the market, you're going to see a pop in volatility. So if you want kind of a signal to be paying attention to, to start reducing portfolio risk, keep a watch on the VIX. If we get really above 15 on the volatility index, something you might want to be paying attention to relative to your portfolio. Okay, that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, Danny Ratliff's going to join me. We've got quite a few things to get through this morning. We'll talk a little bit uh, about uh, something I got an email on this morning as well, uh, talking about hey, I've got my mortgage paid off, but it's still, it's still killing me prices. <laughs> we'll talk about that next and how to navigate that. Don't go away. More of The Real Investment Show coming right up. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show. Danny Radliff joining me this morning. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning. How are you? Doing great. You? Got a, I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad you're feeling better, by the yeah, way. Much better that I can finally talk today. <laughs> he was the walking dead last week. So, Man, lost my voice. It's been... Uh, there's good and bad with that, though, yeah. right? Because you don't have to be disciplinarian. You don't have to... Uh, yeah. You know? You know, it's funny. There's a lot of memes out there. It's like, you know, when the when the when the wife is sick, you know, she's like completely, you know, out of it, and she's still having to take the kids here and clean the house and do all the stuff she's got to do. And when a guy's sick, you know, gets the sniffles, you know, he's like down for the count. So, what what do they call it? I think there's a word for it, isn't it? Like, uh, I know what my wife would call it, but I can't say that on the air. So. Mansplaining or what? Not that it's uh, it's something else, anyways. Yeah. But yeah. I'm sure she would agree. But no, but no, listen, I, you have my sympathy. I, um, my daughter uh, was extremely, had what you had. She, yeah. and she was, com she, she's up at college and she was just completely laid out with whatever's going around. And she went to the doctors and twice, actually went to the doctor twice. And they just kept sending her home and say, just, you know, just go home and get Theraflu and you'll be fine. Just take Theraflu. Mm -hmm. You'll be good. And so finally, we have my my wife has an old bottle of penicillin. I don't know how old this bottle of penicillin is. It's from when our kids were little, <laughs> but we had, yeah, I know, right? It's really that mold really worked its way up. And anyway, she uh, got in the car and drove up to to see her and gave her the penicillin. She was well in two days. I mean, fixed That's it amazing. right up. That's amazing. So, yeah, and you know, but yeah, so just sometimes it's the old remedies. Well, I think we get away from all that too often, right? I mean, yeah. this thing kicked me in the rear. I hadn't been in a long time. I, uh, the doctor's like, yeah, it's been a while. I said, well, every time you give me bad news, you, know, you get on the scale and you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> this exactly. thing is this broken again. <laughs> what is wrong with you this know, When place? you get on the scale and it goes, oof. Yeah. That's what like, oh, let me take some out of my pocket real quick. Hold on. Like, that's you're stripping help. down. Yeah. <laughs> I got to have a shoes off. Sir, sir, please keep your clothes on. Uh, 
Anyway. Yeah, not fun though. So, uh, got an email uh, this morning. Actually, late late last night. This this morning for me. Um, a guy asked. I, th- I thought this was a good question for you, Danny, because uh, uh, Dave Ramsey got himself into a bit of a kerfuffle here just recently because um, a gentleman uh, called into Dave Ramsey. Again, I don't have anything against Dave Ramsey. Great debt counselor. His investing advice, not so much. But debt counseling wise, he's 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 the guru, right? Uh, him, Susie Orman, the crew. But anyway, so somebody called in and it's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm make 150. I, I don't know the exact number, so don't quote me on this. But the call was generally like all his calls are, is I make $150,000 a year and I'm, you know, in debt and I can't make ends meet and I can't, you know, kind of get things going. And so Dave Ramsey does his normal shtick, which is to start, well, uh, tell me about where you're spending your money. And so he's like, well, you know, I spend $25,000 on childcare. He's like, what? That's crazy. You know, $25,000 on childcare. And as we've talked about this before, you know, that's what you get when you inject a whole bunch of capital into the economy, send people checks to go get childcare. Everybody raises the cost of childcare. So we've had this huge surge in childcare costs. Uh, we've also had, because of a lot of these stimulus checks going out and stuff, um, we've had increases in other costs like food and insurance and all these other costs. The Affordable Care Act has created, you know, very unaffordable uh, health care. So, you know, these are the problems that people are facing. So, and it was an interesting email that I got because it was kind of, uh, you know, kind of that same vein of, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm in this position. I'm trying to save more money, and. You know, I'm hitting. I'm getting hit with all these other costs. Now, interestingly enough, so the email is basically this: is that I don't have any debt, right? So that's good, right? Don't, yeah, no, great. Paid, paid off his house, no credit card debt, so no car debt, right? So nothing. He has no debt whatsoever. So great. He says, but I'm struggling with the cost of insurance, the cost of food, of course, um, and you know, just other expenses, you know, taxes, etc. You know, so and, and this is just the problem that everybody's facing right now. It seems like the more money you make, the, the less you wind up with because everything just kind of getting drained. And, and especially if you have young children and you have a two-income household, like most yeah. families aren't. You know, we have a big surge in two-income households because just how to make ends meet, which means that you've got to pay for childcare, and childcare, without a doubt, is very expensive. Yeah, I mean, depending on the age of the children and and you know what type of care you need absolutely i mean we can make arguments where it may be more beneficial for somebody to stay home depending on mm-hmm. how much they're making so i think some of the problems with what you just mentioned first of all you see a lot of times lifestyle creep it doesn't sound like this is this gentleman's problem right but you do see that right you get the raise oh you go get the nicer car you get a bigger home and everything begins to get more expensive but now i think that even the people that have done the right things they're getting punished as well mm-hmm. and so this is where it becomes extremely difficult because like Dave Ramsey, well, where do you spend your money? Yeah. Um, well, where do you spend your money? How do you spend your money? And this is where I think it really begins to pay to, to shop. Shop your insurance. Get an understanding as far as what that is that you're paying. And when's the last time you did? You know, A lot of these companies are not incentivizing you to stay any longer, right? right. They'd rather get rid of you and get somebody new versus keep you as a client. So it may be better for you to go look around. And, you know, Richard and I were talking about this the other day, I think, on the show, and he, uh, he's like, man, I shopped. I couldn't get anything better, and that may right. be the case. Well, I guess, I guess it's a question, right? I mean, there, you have to make some trade-off choices um, yeah. you know, also to it. So if, if you're really trying to say, so yes, if I'm shopping right now, insurance is high, but you know, just take homeowner's insurance as, as an example, right? So you own a home, so you, you want homeowner's insurance. So do you, do you fully insure the house? 
or do you maybe insure it for less and mm. take the risk, right? I mean, you know, those... Well, most people don't have that luxury of having that to make that decision, yeah. right? Most of them have a mortgage and you have to fully insure it. Right, right. Well, in like his case, he's fully... His house is paid for. Yeah, correct. Right? So do you, do you maybe... You know, and again, this is those. These are the decisions you have to make. Nobody Ooh, can make yeah. these for I'm you. I'm not giving any advice yeah, on yeah, that. Yeah, no, this is not you're advice. Say, I'm you're just saying say that these... somebody's house is going to burn down. The back. Lance, <laughs> you told no. me. Well, no, but th- no. My question is, you know, this is this is this is where you get into this challenge, right? This is the problem, right? Is uh, do I do I fully insure it? Do I, you know, do I change my health care plan, um, you know, to try to lower my cost of insurance? Yeah. And I can do that, but then at the other side of that. I've got to have a really high deductible to lower that cost of monthly insurance. And so then when I get sick, it's, you know, five grand or 10 grand or whatever the number is, you know, to hit that deductible. Right. And these, so these are the trade-offs that you're trying to do, but this is, and as you said, I think the big problem is, is that most people don't have this choice. You know, you're not making enough money right now um, to really have a a big set aside for these out-of-pocket expenses you're willing to pay for. And if you've got young children that are all on your insurance, they're in, they're in the doctor all the time. So, <laughs> so your insurance is going to be higher. So for just a lot of people, you know, when outside of your debt, right, which, again, in this particular case, he's paid off all his debt, which is great. And, and if you have a lot of debt, I think that's your big focus. If you want to lower the cost of, of your lifestyle, get rid of your debt. But outside of that, I don't think you have a lot of flexibility. Well, I think you just have to be creative. And that's where you're going to have to start thinking about how can you better spend money? Um, you know, our biggest expense, just, just an example, food. I mean, three kids growing, eating us out of house and home. You feed them once um, a day. Picky. and But, yeah, right? <laughs> Good luck with that. I don't know. Um, Locks on the pantries. But ideally, so so we like to kind of food prep. Right. Or just yep. kind of plan throughout the week. We, we don't eat out often. If we eat out, it may be once a week. We're Typically, it's on the go because we're in between kids' activities, things like that. But for the most part, and if we do eat out, we typically split meals. Um, so that, that that by the way, your kids aren't old enough yet. No, that, they're getting where it's not gonna, working that, anymore. Yeah, exactly. You're, but, you're about yeah, to that point. No. You know, my I take my son out now, and it's like he orders two meals. I know, I know. We are <laughs> we we are there, and it's not working as well as it did. Um, and yeah, the one who gives me the biggest grief is nine. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, uh, but. You know, we notice that there are there is food that will go to waste. Yeah. Because, you know, inevitably something else pops up. We don't get a chance to eat what we were going to or somebody goes somewhere else. And so what we started to do was go to the store more frequently, which is a pain in the rear. Mm-hmm. But buying for a day or two at a time and then nothing goes to waste. It's very specific. You know exactly what you're going to use it for. And it is you're not spending anything extra, yeah. right? And and, then, and this is and it was interesting because we had this conversation a little bit yesterday. There was an article talking about uh, I was talking about food costs yesterday a little mm-hmm. bit on the show, and it was you know people making decisions um, to try to lower their food costs, starting backyard gardens as yeah. an example um, to grow some of their own fruits and vegetables, those type of things. But also making choices to downgrade what they're eating. So instead of, you know, chicken and this, they now have canned tuna and noodle casserole, right? Those type of yeah. things. I'm not I'm not recommending anybody do this, but I'm just saying is like people are having to make these choices to try to lower the cost of food because again, uh, we just saw recently that food is now making up 30% of incomes. It's the it's the highest that we've seen since the 70s where you have such a very big part of your daily budget going just to pay for food. No, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I believe it. And it is 
it's an unfortunate event, but you know, there are ways you can do things without sacrificing if you plan properly. You know, somebody else just mentioned on the YouTube channel, go to the Real Investment Show. If you want to chime in, let us know what your biggest expenses are. Um, you know, kids' activities, and oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I think about growing up, like the activities that we probably all had. Yeah. How it, they've changed. Oh, yeah. Because when I was growing up, it was like, here's a stick, here's a ball, go play. Yeah. Yeah. That was ba- that was organized and, baseball. And your, by your the baseball way. coach may have brought like two <laughs> or three bats for the whole team. Yeah. Right. And now everybody has a, a personal three or four or five hundred dollar bat. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, those activities do. You know, do and, catch and, up and Scott you. brings up a good point on, on the YouTube chat as well. Um, Cobra is extremely expensive. So, you know, once you kind of migrate out of that corporate, you know, that corporate environment where you're getting compensated for your insurance through the company and you go on Cobra, it's that's that's a big chunk. Well, and, and private have, insurance is just crazy. Yeah, unless it's subsidized, it is through the roof. And what we see, you know, that that deters a lot of people. And so we're, we're talking about people who are younger right now with children, but people that are going towards retirement and maybe they want to retire pre Medicare age. Yeah, it, it is so such a large burden that many people have to continue to work. Yeah. They just can't afford it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so and basically, um, you know, in regards to the email, there is no solution for you. Um, <laughs> you know, as Danny said, you know, just this is this is the struggle that everybody's struggling with right now. And, and again, you know, there are areas that you can work on to lower those outlays, debt being one of those. But once you get rid of your debt, it becomes a lot more challenging for the average American. So, all right, quick break. We'll come back. Um, interesting talk about food prices um wendy's now inserting surge pricing in their food we'll talk about that next don't go away The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. back to the show this morning you know it's funny when we talk about you know prices of everything inevitably us old guys were all and, and it's the same thing on the youtube you know my skateboard was 20 bucks and i was like he paid 20 bucks for a skateboard when i was growing up we took a two by four and took old roller skates you know the metal ones and then just took the skates off and put them to the bottom of the two by four those were skateboards <laughs> so you know it's it's just it's just interesting, you know, because you know I remember back as a kid the things that we were doing, and now we talk about kids today, and they've all got to have cell phones, they've all got to have this, they've all got to have that, and 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 like Danny said, organized sports are off the chain. Just the the cost of what it takes to put it, and, and look, I, I did this, I did the Danny thing, you know, I coached baseball, I coached football, did all that, and just it's amazing. What well, it's, that it's stuff costs now. yeah, just the, you know, obviously it's the age, but just seeing the, the expenses that go yeah. along with it and, you know, then parents make it worse. Right. It's like, well, no, that's, that's the things like when I was coaching baseball, like these, these are kids, these, these kids are like eight, nine years old that yeah. I'm coaching baseball and they're paying for private batting coaches and private pitching coaches. Like these kids and are going to be the next, you're, you're left Nolan behind Ryan. now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then crazy. it's like, we bought jerseys in, um, in the fall and now parents are like do we need a new jersey i'm like no no we do not yeah oh we need to go play That's this out of town tournament i'm like no we, we <laughs> no, please no, 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 no i'm not looking to spend my vacation with y'all i love you guys yeah best thing ever kids left for college so <laughs> my expenses went way down um 
So talk about expenses, though. I thought this was just really interesting. We're just kind of short. We got some other stuff to get into this morning. And just since we're on prices of food and everything else just kind of stuck to me. Um, there was an article in Market Watch talking. Uh, so Uber, as an example, Uber and Lyft, if you try to use an Uber or Lyft at a peak time, the price goes up. It's called surge pricing. So if there's a lot of demand, uh, say there's a concert in town or a sporting event, whatever it is, the cost of your Uber is going to go up because of this surge pricing, right? So a lot of demand, demand equals higher prices. thought it was interesting, this article, uh, Danny, about Wendy's now applying. They're going to have a digital menu. And so when there's a big rush of business and demand for particular items, the prices of those items will dynamically increase. So I've seen places <laughs> do this before, right? There, there's actually a bar... Um, kind of close to our house yeah. back in the day that they opened. It's called The Exchange. Right. And every beer had a ticker, right? Right. And if everybody was ordering one thing, the prices would, would go up. So it's that dynamic or surge pricing. Sure, sure. And are they but still I'm, in business? No. <laughs> no. They didn't last long. I think I think like it was a novelty of it. I think we went once, like a bunch of bunch of buddies, like, oh, this is kind of a neat deal. And like, How do you hey. know? Not in business anymore. Hint, well, hint. everybody else is like getting what Wendy's I'm, just trying to give you a little hint, a little heads up, buddy. <laughs> well, ahead. I'm curious. So, do they do this on like a local scale, or is this something where they have their systems integrated and they look at oh. everything across, uh, you know, all of their restaurants and say, this is the time. Now, what I think this would do for me is if I was going to eat Wendy's, which I don't, um, I would just go at off times. Or just order stuff that nobody else is ordering. Well, of course, but it, you may not want that. I don't think Wendy's has this robust menu that you're going to go and be like, oh, I, <laughs> I, I guarantee you that nobody's going to Wendy's and ordering the salad. So, you know. Well, does Wendy's even have enough traffic to validate surge? There's pricing? a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. When's the last time you were at Wendy's? I can't recall. I, 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 I don't go to fast food. Years. Yeah, so. yeah we don't eat fast food, so. Yeah. Well, Chick-fil-A, it's somehow not fast food now, but... No, that is that is necessity and Cane's. That's but God's that. chicken. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't, no, we just, because again, you know, for us, as soon as our kids left the house, fast food died. Yeah. You know, fast food was a convenience item when we had kids, but, you know, and it was, it was Chick-fil-A, it was whatever it was, and when they became teens, it was Cane's, but um, now it's, you know, me and my wife, we cook. No need, yeah. Yeah, we cook, so... Yeah, so I don't know, but the surge pricing, I mean, like you said, Brent, I mean, do you actually have enough business to drive, you know, to get a, to get some type of chart here on I'm interested to see if it just works or not, or if people just, you know, if people kind of rebel at this point. I think everybody's already mad enough about how much food costs. Now you're going to say, what, you're going to charge me instead of 10 bucks, $12 for this burger because... Three other people in your restaurant ordered it? Absolutely yeah. not. Get lost. And that's and that's the thing too, right? You go there, uh, you go to McDonald's. I mean, it's getting to be ridiculously expensive even to order food at McDonald's. Um, you know, I was talking. There was a guy on a video the other day talking about eighteen dollars. You know, for just a burger, and it's it's just getting. You know, yeah, the cost is just getting, you know, again, we just go back to this, just, you know, the, the impact. And again, this and, and you know, from an economic standpoint, this makes complete sense, and this is why. Despite these booming, we talked about yesterday, you know, this, these booming economic numbers, GDP, 2%, 3%, whatever, um, you know, presidential approval ratings on the economy are, you know, kind of in the toilet because the average American's going, this is, you know, you may tell me the economy's doing great, but I'm barely keeping my head above water, if at all. Speaking of presidential um, things. That's not. 
Go ahead. Well, I'm just noticing, Brent, you've got all this, this these uh, you know patriotic themes behind Lance yes. here. Is Lance ready to make a run now? Finally, yes, we we are we are, we are going to not make a we. Run. It's it's you. Yeah, in uh, 2075, I'll be rolling out my presidential campaign. Well, I mean that's in probably in line with you know our current. <laughs> I got I got to get to the right age. Yeah, <laughs> you need to have that experience. <laughs> Once I turn 106, that'll be the going age for presidents at this rate. We so. want to make sure there's a lot of experience. <laughs> so, all right, hey, let's let's talk about. Uh, I'm going to write an article this weekend um, about Warren Buffett's latest report, and uh, so Warren Buffett over the weekend every every year. Everybody looks forward to Warren Buffett's annual letter that he puts out. And, of course, this was this past weekend. So everybody digs into this letter immediately to see what pearls of wisdom that he's going to impart. And so in this weekend's newsletter, I'm going to pick a couple of things that he talked about. One was, in particular, his big problem right now, which is he has $160 billion in cash and can't spend it. And the reason he can't spend it is because he said, look, if I make an acquisition, it's not going to significantly move the needle. And the reason for that is that, A, he's very large, but B, there's no opportunity to deploy cash at a valuation that generates large outsized returns in the future. In other words, what he's telling you is, is that, Yes, I have $160 billion in cash, but there is nothing of value to purchase. And so if you even take a look at Warren Buffett's favorite metric of market cap to GDP ratio, it's at one of the highest levels ever on record. And so just basically what he's saying is, is that the markets are so overvalued, I can't deploy $160 billion in cash, right? Because he could. With $160 billion, you can buy a lot of big companies. But if they're overvalued, they're not going to create a return to the company because you overpaid for the asset. That's what he's saying. And so I thought it was interesting that, you know, he made this point. Everybody kind of skipped over that part. <laughs> they just said, oh, he's got $160 billion in cash, but can't, can't put it to work. There's a reason why he can't put it to work. Well, like, like you mentioned, you've got to move the needle. And he's also, so, you know, he did pay Charlie Munger some, I think, some nice, very nice compliments, yeah. obviously. And, and there's quite a few, actually. But, um, one of the things I think that he mentioned was, Warren, forget about buying another company like Berkshire. But now that you control Berkshire, add it to wonderful to wonderful businesses purchased at fair prices and give up buying fair businesses at wonderful prices. Right. And that could be part of the problem, too. Right. But it is. That's exactly what his problem is. He, he, you know, he can't. Everything is now wonderfully priced. They're priced for perfection. Yeah. And so you can't buy something at a discount that... And that's the whole purpose of investing, right? The whole purpose of investing is to buy something at a discount and it inures to, to full value, and that's where you make your gain. But if you're already overpaying for that asset to begin with, then your downside risk as it returns to fair value is going to outweigh your future return. And, and so that's the problem that Warren Buffett's saying is that there's not an opportunity to deploy that cash. And he look, he, he, there's, there's maybe small companies out there that he could go buy at a, a, a reasonable valuation but they're so small they're so small he can't deploy enough cash right i mean yeah and and what's it going to do for the overall business right nothing i I go buy a small you know hundred million dollar company and it does nothing for you know a a business the size of berkshire hathaway which is almost a trillion dollars in in valuation so you know that's his problem he's got to buy something where he spends 
50 billion on it, 60 billion, that type of thing, and brings in this value of cash flow and operations, et cetera, into Berkshire. And that meaningful that would meaningfully move the needle. Because again, he doesn't measure success based on price. He measures it based on earnings and profits. And that, that's what he looks at. So when he does his report, he says, our profits were this. And so he's got to buy a business that generates profits at that level. And that's very difficult to do when you're already overpaying for everything. So could he, I mean, I don't know, I'm thinking out loud here. I mean, I know you got BRKA and B, right? So you right. got two different share classes. Right. Could you create a separate fund within the fund? Sure. I mean, I'm sure he's thought of it. Yeah. He, but then again, I guess it still doesn't, it, you still have the same problem. Yeah, no, he could he could create a whole spinoff business, right? Yeah. And, and that you know that's something else that you know he could do also with Berkshire's to start to spin off some of these businesses he owns, take them out public. So in other words, you know he owns you know Geico Insurance, just picking one, um, you know Seize Candies, these other ones that he owns, spin those off into their own IPO, realize that 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 cash flow from that operation, uh, that spinoff operation, that value, he nets that value, but then he loses the operating business because now it's a separate business. Yep, correct. So you get these one-time hits on these spinoffs. And so that that's another challenge for him. Good problem so, to have. Yep. If only you could invest like Warren Buffett. Start with a billion dollars and then go from there. All right, be right back after the break. Uh, get ready to wrap up the show. I lost $240,000 after a friend I met on Instagram encouraged me to make an investment. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So, welcome back to the show. Um, there's a, a long lesson to be learned, and, and you know, over time, I've run into this quite a few times over the years and again I've you know I've owned other you know several firms over time I've had different books of clients and one of the things that always happens and you know this happened back in 1999 early 2000 it happened again in 2007 heading into the financial crisis it's it happened heading in, in 20 you know 18 2019 I saw this happening but whenever markets get really exuberant um, that is when you know, there's this pull to play catch up, right? And behind the market, um, you know, I need to make a bunch of money and everybody's just making money hand over fist right now. And that's where you start getting a lot of these promotions, particularly in social media uh, today more than ever is, you know, hey, just, you know, I've got this program. And again, if, if you ever, I, I, try to, I try to clip them on our Twitter, Twitter feed as an example. Every time I post something on Twitter, uh, there'll be comments at the bottom of bots that are out there. It's like, oh, you know, Mr. So-and-so, you know, generated, you know, so much money for me trading, you know, this or that or the other thing. You know, these are all scams, right? Uh, but scams are easy to get sucked into if you're not careful. 
And even good investments can turn out to be bad investments if they're done at the wrong time. And, you know, as I was, uh, you know, for instance, I had, a, I had a client of mine at one time that pulled his account out um, because a friend of a friend had told him that, you know, his, his buddy was trading currency and was making all this money. And, you know, just guy was just like a print, a money printing machine. And he just needed to, to do this and he was going to make all this money. Well, he pulled all of his money out, gave it to this person. And I was asking the questions. I was like, well, that's fine. But, you know, is this guy licensed? Is he registered to manage money? Is he, you know, it's like, oh, no, he's just a guy. He's a friend of a friend. He's just doing this to help me out because he's my buddy's buddy and those type of things. Well, the guy ran off to the Caymans with all of his money. Um, and that happens all the time. And this is why you've got to be very careful with the allure of outsized gains. And again, there's some very basic things to look as as a, as portfolio managers, as advisors, we are registered and regulated with the Securities and Exchange Commission. We have to abide by laws. We have fiduciary standards we have to apply to. We have custody with, you know, major institutions. So assets are protected. And so once you get outside of that, you know, that's where it becomes problematic. I have a very good friend of mine, an attorney, Tom Ajame, who is an SEC attorney, and um, he was telling me, and, and he used to be on the show when we, uh, you know, years ago, and, and this was heading into 2008 as an example. And he was telling me about, you know, Bernie Madoff, and he had a client in Idaho that had written a check made out to Bernie Madoff personally and mailed it to him in the mail for $5 million. It was all of his money. And of course, you know what happened with Bernie Madoff. But that's what happens when people get swept up into these, you know, ideas of the, these outsized returns, these massive generations of wealth. Oh, it's just going to make me wealthy overnight, those type of things. There are things that can do that. And there are things that people have done that have generated vast amounts of wealth very quickly. Uh, they just happen to hit the lottery right in the market on, on some stock, right? Um, you know, we saw a lot of people make money in Tesla early on. You know, we saw a lot of people make money in NVIDIA just recently. But those are rare opportunities, and generally those don't happen on a consistent basis, and you're most likely not doing it with all of your wealth at one time. So, you know, those are the things. So just be careful. The, the point of the conversation is that there was an article uh, on Market Watch talking about how this person, and this, and again, this is very prevalent today and something you've got to be really careful of about social media. Um, he was, you know, a friend that he met. These aren't your friends. On, the, yeah, on yeah. Instagram. Let's, let's talk about what is a real friend and what is not, <laughs> yeah. right? I think that's number one. Just because they, they like you does not mean they're your friend. But anyway, he says, I, I met a friend on Instagram who encouraged me to invest. He invested $240,000. Well, the, he invested money. He lost $240,000. But that's the lesson to be learned, right, Danny? Yeah, well, I, I think that there's a couple things that, that we always need to take it into mind. And so I came across this article and thought, well, this is pretty timely because we've had a couple of clients here recently who've been approached. Mm -hmm. And luckily, they didn't send any money, but they've reached out and said, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Or have you ever heard of this? I'm like, well, talk to me. Who's giving you this information? And, oh, it's a friend of a friend. Okay, friend of a friend. Describe, please. Yeah. Like, this somebody you met at a party that you just met? Or is this uh, a friend of a friend through social media? And what I find is that nine times out of ten, it's a friend of a friend. Somebody you've never technically met 
on social media, something of that sort, right? But, oh, they know so-and-so that I grew up with. They're, they're good people. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they basically groom you, right? They, you be, they become friends with you. They don't even talk to you about these investments for the longest time. And they're just, you, you think they're truly a friend. And um, there was actually an interesting word for it in here. What did they call it? Um, pig slaughtering or what was it? There was there was a there was an interesting word that they used for this for for these people who are coming up and they're basically they're they're fattening you up right they're trying to get you ready to take you to the to the slaughterhouse because they want you to get primed and ready to go because they're trying to build your trust build your confidence and then essentially they're going to say well give me a thousand dollars let me show you what I can do with this or have you ever thought about this and then you know you feel good because you get your money back then they do it again then they do it again then all of a sudden it starts to get a little bit bigger and so. This guy here in this article wrote that he gave somebody initially, he added 40,000, then added another 40,000, gained confidence in them. Yeah, it's called pig butchering, is the term. There you go, pig butchering. Thank you, Lance. Um, Then they added another 100,000. So now they can't get their funds, but this company's telling them, oh, if you want to get to them, you have to pay your taxes first, which are 150,000. Yep. Which supposedly is 15% of his profit. Number one, that's a ton of profit. If that's actually true, right, right. number uh, you know, number two, you're never going to send the money to them to pay for your taxes. You're going to send it directly to the IRS. So, you know, I think the problem and the, the issue here is that we just want to bring light to is that it's very easy to get caught up in this, and it's very easy to feel like this is okay. Look, this is done well. Okay, I can put a little bit more. I can do a little bit more. And as we're doing that, you know. We've gained, we've given them that confidence. We've given them control of assets. If you're ever going to do, number one, like this guy said, you know, well, my advisor said afterwards, number one, why in the world didn't you call your advisor? Right. I mean, that's what we're here for, right? To, and, and I will tell you, man, that sounds like a fantastic idea or that is awful. <laughs> this, I would have, I would have, I can assure you, I would have said, this sounds too good to be true. And that's what I think that most people need, but a lot of people don't want. And it is interesting because this guy actually does have a financial advisor in the letter that he wrote um, talking about this. He said, I'm especially upset. I think I'm a pretty educated guy. My financial advisor said one of her clients lost $2.7 million in one of these type of scams. So, you know, you know he, had, he had a professional to call and didn't call. Right. It's like making a decision about your health and not calling your doctor. Right. So, you know, it's you know, it's it's just this is that problem. And, and again, this is a particular big problem for old, the older generation like me. Right. Because we're not all tech savvy and all this. Um, you know, so elder fraud is getting to be a real problem, particularly because of social media. It's easy to prey on on elderly people through social media. They don't know better. You know, they don't really understand how the system works. They don't understand, you know, the finances in a lot of cases. And so it's very easy to lure some of these people through social media because, again, they become your friend and they're your ally. And, you know, you talk to this person every day, but you've actually never met them. You know, there's a whole show on, on MTV called Catfish, right? And, and it's very easy to do that. You set up these fake profiles. Uh, you know, this is, we talk about this all the time. Is like, for instance, on, you know, there are people that have imposter accounts of of me on Twitter that are promoting crypto scams and they they replicate our Twitter page. They replicate our feed and you'll know it's a difference because they'll have like a thousand people following them. Right. So it's 
you know, and, and we're a verified account and they're not. So, you know, be careful just because it's on social media and because it sounds, you know, this person is representing themselves as an expert doesn't mean they're an expert at all. Just be real careful what you get into. Yeah. There's a special place for people like this, right? Um, you know, somebody yeah, just mentioned jail. they're even, well, hell, um, <laughs> they, well, I mean, you know, somebody just mentioned that they're even going as far now to create videos. You think yeah. of what AI can do and it make, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it could literally look like you, Lance, yeah, and say, hey, here's, send your money here. And, and I would always recommend don't ever do it without physically talking to somebody, but make sure you actually know them. Put your hands on somebody. I had the, the worst thing I've ever seen and I've ever been through with somebody is I had a client who uh, was widowed. She was lonely. She met somebody exactly like this online mm -hmm. and they befriended her and she needed a friend. And next thing you know, they were in they were in Africa doing oil and gas work, exploratory work, and their equipment was stolen. They needed some help. Send a little bit of money. Don't worry. When I get back here into, into town, and I was putting the piece, I said, though, well, first of all, we're not sending some random person money. That's just not what's going to yeah. happen. But she went behind our back and did it. Yeah. So much so that the company I worked for, you know, decided, listen, we've tried to help you. We cannot, you can't be a client. But she basically gave away, she had retired, gave away almost every dollar she had to this person who was not real. So much so, I even got on the phone with this person. Mm -hmm. Like they were yelling at her to wire money one day, and I was like, ah, let me let me call this person. Interesting. And, know, it's, but it's, they have gotten bolder. They have gotten absolutely. braver. You have to be diligent to protect yourself. This is, I mean, it's an interesting time that we are in, but please, please be careful. Absolutely. All right, that wraps up the show for today. And make sure if you're going to put your hands on somebody, ask their permission first. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> you said go put your hands on them. <laughs> Don't put your hands on it. Come on. Good All Lord. Right. <laughs> Have a great day. We'll be back here tomorrow.